about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, or ashamed. This tonight's show is part of an ongoing series about bad mother anxiety, the fear that I'm being a bad mother. My guest tonight is Catherine Landon Malone. We'll be talking about attachment parenting and the relationship to bad mother anxiety. Catherine Landon Malone is a mother, a grandmother. She's also a pediatric nurse practitioner and currently a PhD candidate in clinical psychology with a specialty in pre- and perinatal psychology. Catherine has a special interest in infant mental health, and she's in practice right here in Maine at True North, where she also practices pediatric hypnosis. Welcome to Safe Space, Catherine. I want to start out by asking you to tell me, what is attachment parenting? Attachment parenting is has a long history starting, well, way back in the early 20th century, I think, um, with John Bowlby's work, who realized when he watched children who, at that point, when they went into the hospital, they were there without parents. And he watched what happened over time with those kids when they were reunited with their families and the kinds of struggles that they had. So he was the first person, really, who started describing attachment. And now there's a whole theory around that attachment theory. Out of that grew... Um, a movement, really, I think of attachment parenting as kind of a movement to parent in a way that really fosters a nice, deep, secure bond. Um, Dr. Sears has been credited with really promoting attachment parenting. Um, And it's a style of parenting that keeps kids or babies and parents close together. It starts with a healthy pregnancy where moms are really connected with that baby, understanding that baby has awareness and consciousness through a birth process that hopefully is as low interventive as possible, although things happen at birth, so sometimes that doesn't work out the same way. Then behaviors that help support bonding, keeping the baby close with mom, breastfeeding, um, as the baby gets older, carrying the baby a lot, co-sleeping, being with the baby. So that's how Sears has interpreted attachment theory and brought it into something called attachment parenting. And how is this very common as far as you know? Are a lot of mothers practicing I think this? a lot of young mothers these days are have read Sears's work or have heard this term attachment parenting and just the sound of it, attachment parenting, sounds like, well, I have to do that. I want my child to be attached to me. And I see a lot of families in my work who come saying, I'm coming to you because I know you know something about attachment parenting. And so I think probably a lot of the families I see maybe... Um, I don't know that they're the, I don't know that it's a broad cultural base. I think it's a group of families that perhaps didn't have a kind of growing up that they felt was a real nurturing growing up, and so they're drawn to it to say, "I want to do it differently." And other people, I think it just makes sense intuitively that something called attachment parenting might be a good idea for both a baby and a parent. It's interesting. So if there are two groups, kind of one group that's coming to it from the perspective of wanting to do something differently for their child than what they had, Mm -hmm. and then another group where it just intuitively makes sense, is there a difference in how they carry it out? I mean, is one more Mm anxiety-based than another? I think so. Um, And I can think of 
a number of moms over the years who I've known who, when we talk about what was it like for you growing up and hearing the story of my mom wasn't there for me, you know, people did not validate any emotions I had. I want this to be different for my child. And those moms come, I think, almost as a setup for a sense of, oh, if I don't do it right, I'm ruining my child's self-esteem for life. So there's, the ante is up a little bit. And then there are families that just those, this just seems intuitively right, and this is how I was raised. I think for that, those families, it's so much easier because really attachment is a biological imperative. You know, the it, babies are wired to attach to us. So I don't know that we need to do so much to make that attachment happen in the beginning other than being present, going slow, making eye contact, and being mindful of what emotions a parent is feeling, knowing that the baby will be impacted, will feel that as well. So I think there's a, that's so much about my work is sort of talking to people about it's not just about holding the baby. Because if a mom holds a baby and is really anxious about that, the baby's going to feel the anxiety. And so that's, we know that attachment parenting, how children attach is a pattern that will go on through every relationship. This is the first relationship of all relationships. It's very tricky, though, because when I hear you say that, it sounds like the stakes are very high. Mm -hmm. And that, well, so what if the mother is anxious? So just say she's anxious. Mm -hmm. And then she hears, okay, okay, the baby is going to be reading that. And so, oh my gosh, I have to not be anxious. I mean, it sort of really does. Then what's the mother supposed to do with her feelings? Well, mostly I think my work is so much about having parents notice and sort of a mindful approach. Notice what's happening in your body. For example, if a mom in the has just had a baby in the hospital and she's trying to nurse, and in come all the experts watching that happen and wanting that to happen, and the mom gets tenser and tenser and tenser, and now the baby doesn't latch very well. And now the mom thinks, oh, it's something that I'm doing wrong. So my work then would be to go in and say, what's happening in your body? What do you notice? Where's the tension in, in your body? And they're like, oh, my arms are really tense. And oh, I'm like tense completely from my toes up. It's like, all right, what happens if we relax that? So the good news is that if a mom feels anxious and notices that, to just take some breaths, soften the body, make some eye contact with the baby, slow down. Then the baby is so such a great partner because the baby comes down and the baby makes the eye contact and the baby says, I I do want to attach with you. I am attached to you, Mom, and I'm okay. Just help me to feel safe. So it's I think we make it a lot harder than it needs to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean I think so for so many people, attachment parenting offers um something that I know I can be doing right. Mm -hmm. So a mother comes in anxious Mm -hmm. for whatever reason Mm -hmm. that she doesn't know how to be a good mother. And then there's a kind of almost like a formula. I mean, the way some of Dr. Sears work reads is like, if you do these three things, breastfeed, co-sleep and wear, you know, keep Mm -hmm. the baby on your body, Mm -hmm. then then everything's going to be good. And Mm -hmm. it feels like, okay, okay. So these are some clear steps. These are some things I can do. And I know I can do them. They're exhausting, Mm -hmm. but I can do them. And, um, it can feel like a tremendous reassurance because there's a fear that we don't know how to bond with our mm-hmm. babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. just even hearing your message that 
It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, okay, so a mother could breastfeed and not like it, could hold the baby and feel like I'm all touched out. I can't hold this baby anymore. Or could co-sleep and then there's the baby needing her all night. That's a setup for problems between those two, I think. So, yes, those things do promote attachment. But attachment, I think, happens a little differently. It happens in the moment between... In, in the interaction. It happens in the field around the mom and the baby. Um, and the baby's really a pretty good partner. You know, like, so attachment theory says there are sort of four attachment styles. There's the secure attachment, which is a baby feels safe, mom and dad are home base. They know that if mom and dad are comfortable with them, who can tolerate their big feelings. So when a baby cries in a parent's arms, of course that makes a mom tense and think she's doing something wrong. But if she settles down and inside and breathes and says, this is my baby releasing some stress. This is okay. I think a baby learns, oh, my parents can handle me even in my biggest upset. So it reframes it a little bit instead of I'm doing this wrong. My baby is crying. What What the heck do I do? The baby is then going to read, my mom's tense, and why is my mom tense, and is that about me? You know, we, It's so we interesting, know. though, because, I mean, what you're talking about sounds very simple, but in practice... <laughs> in practice? <laughs> that's a huge shift, because our whole culture, I think, is so phobic about crying. Yeah. Crying and, we and think sleeping. it's an emergency mm. that has to be stopped. Right. And so babies get jiggled and walked and, mm-hmm. you know, everything is done to try to get them to stop mm-hmm. as if this wasn't an, as if it was an emergency. Right. And the idea that I can hold you and this is good and I don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a radically new way of relating to crying. I think it is. I think it is. And it, I, it reframes it in such a way that parents are like, all right, as I'm walking to the baby who's crying... And I can say, I know this is making every muscle in my body tense. It's supposed to. (laughs) The baby's cry is supposed to do that. But then when the parent gets to the baby and picks them up and is regulated, is breathing, is saying, you're safe, we're both safe, we can handle this together, then the baby learns something very different from just getting jiggled and sloshed around. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. And now the parent feels like, that's so empowering for parents. It is. I think part of what makes it so difficult is that so many parents, when they were little, were their crying wasn't tolerated. Right. It was, you know, shushed or punished or right. abandoned or, you know, whatever right. it is. So to bear the crying of your own child is, it's, I think mm-hmm. it's beyond just your body tenses because you're supposed to respond to right. your child. But it, tr- I, I it think goes, it, but there's two babies in the room. There's the baby that when they were a baby well, had some unmet needs. Because moms of today grew up or were raised in a time where it was, you know, put the baby down and make the baby independent. So what I do love about attachment parenting is that it says once the secure base is established, and we can test this at nine months, between nine and 12 months, what attachment style is. So that happens pretty quickly. And in the first 18 months... All that's happening inside the brain, or so much of it, is wiring for relationship. 
So, you so, know, you said there were four <clears throat> kinds and you talked about secure, but tell me the other ones. So there are, there's the secure attachment style. Then there's secure anxious, which is a baby who is probably picking up on what's happening inside the mom or the dad as far as an anxious style. That baby, the way we test it is something called strain situation test, which is if um, a child is left in a room with another person who's a stranger who's there to play. Mom is called out of the room, and then we watch what happens when mom leaves and then what happens when mom comes back. So a secure baby, mom leaves the room, the baby will look and be a little distressed. They are distressed. They cry sometimes. They keep watching the door, but they can be reengaged with play. When mom comes back in, the baby fusses, and moms read that sometimes as like, oh, you're anxious, but they're supposed to fuss when they come back. That's home base. She just left. So that's good. We like that kind of, that says that's a healthy attachment style. Then there's anxious where you can't, the babe, the mom goes out of the room, the baby is watching the door, watching the door, watching the door, very anxious, can't engage with play with the other caretaker in the room. Mom comes back and now the baby is so anxious that they can't, they can't accept comfort or consoling. And that's really, that's a hard one, you know? And then there's the ambivalent style, which I think is actually pretty sad. It's like the baby has already figured out, my mom leaves the room, okay, she's gone, I'm not going to look at the door. And now when she comes back, they engage with play, but they don't look to her for comfort or nurture. And yet if those babies are wired up with, say, a heart monitor, they would show anxiety. So it's a very anxious kind of thing, but they have already figured out Mom's not very available for me emotionally. So they're so they're more they're like have this sort of precocious independence, yes. pseudo independence, yeah. as it were. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then there's the disorganized attachment, which actually is pretty rare, and that only happens when there's a lot of pretty severe pathology, where the baby, when the mom goes out, doesn't really have a strategy of what to do about that. Mom comes back in, baby doesn't have a strategy. It's kind of a going forward toward you and pushing you away. That's a mom who's been pretty scary for a kid. So the baby doesn't learn people are okay. To, so that's more to like meet. an abuse kind it's of situation. More, yeah, you might right, see that. Right. right. So I wonder, you know, coming back to what you said about the parents that you see in your practice, um, how many of, the, of those moms were moms who had their own ambivalent or, you know, anxious attachment mm-hmm. to begin with that look to attachment parenting as this hope mm-hmm. to really think, give their child something I think different. a lot of moms look to attachment parenting as a hope. Like I did, I mean, we all love our children, I think, and we all really do a pretty good job. We're going for good enough here. And so for the moms who come in who really want it different, they, you know, they need to know, I think, what's most helpful is that you're going to make mistakes. There's, you know, we're perfect. And this is how we teach children about imperfection, perhaps. <laughs> We're right. going to mess up. I mean, I'm a mother of three children. And I remember times when I remember saying to my husband, if there were gypsies coming down the road, I'd be selling this kid. You know, right. I understand where throw the baby out with the bathwater comes from. There are some moments where you're not happy seeing that baby for the hundredth time at night. And it's really hard to go to them and be soft and warm and you know, you just aren't. So this feels like a point I so want to highlight because mm-hmm. in this series on bad mother anxiety over these past several weeks, this sense of these taboos that mothers mm-hmm. cannot 
in any safe place, really acknowledge these kinds of feelings, mm-hmm. the feelings of fleeting feelings, mm-hmm. wanting to throw your baby through the wall or mm-hmm. wishing you had never had a child mm-hmm. or or a fear like, into? oh, if I just smothered this child, maybe, you know, no one would really notice mm-hmm. <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if a deep fear that if I fessed up to that, that my child would eventually find out mm-hmm. and be scarred for life mm-hmm. or, you know, they'd take my child away. Yeah. And so it's interesting to hear you acknowledge it. Is it. Do you hear a lot about that in your work? I hear, I hear about it all the time in my work. It is mm-hmm. so common. Parenting is hard, hard, hard work because we're also parenting ourselves when we're parenting our children. And if we didn't get really great mothering, then our job is doubly hard, I think, because mothers are really working hard, and dads, too, to try to... I've had dads in tears in my office sometimes saying... You know, when I was a little kid, I was, you know, I was spanked and I don't want to do that. But yet here I have a spank in my hand and it horrifies me. And it's itching. It's itching. <laughs> it's itching. And I remember as a mom one time looking at my hand and saying to my three-year-old, if I had a was the kind of mom who spanked, I have one right here in my hand. And then feeling horrible about even acknowledging that to him because he lo- gave me a look that looked like, well, you're kind of a scary monster right now. Right, right. And then you berate yourself about that for a long, long Long time. time. What the good news is that I think we really have to talk about is when we have those moments, that what's so important in all the science and developmental psychology is pointing at this, is that it's the repair that's more important than the rupture. Now, I want to come back to that just one moment. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space, and I'm talking to Catherine Landon Malone about attachment parenting and how it's connected to our fears of being bad mothers. We're talking now about how to make repair when we make when we feel like we've made a mistake. Or we may not even have made one, but of course mm-hmm. we're sure we have. We of course we're sure we yeah, have. Yeah, so tell me, what do you mean by repair? Well, first of all, I think repair is, I just think it's the good news. It, it just sort of gets parents off the hook a little bit to know that the repair is more important than the rupture. And, and that's, I mean... What I mean by repair is this is a way to teach children about love and compassion and imperfection and forgiveness. So I think it's a really huge part of parenting that's very important. So many times when we do things that we don't feel good about with our children, we don't talk about it with them. And they really need to hear the story. So, and and what's really cool about it is it the now moment is every moment. So if a mom had a bad moment with a kid 10 years ago, it's not too late to repair it. And I even have a story about that with my youngest son. Yeah, tell me. Well, my youngest son um, was, (laughs) he was our third child, a dear, dear, sweet little boy, very magical, who at this time he was four. This was a kid who wore three hats, a thinking hat, a feeling hat, and a a thinking, feeling, and sensing hat, seeing hat. And one day he could not, he got up in the morning, he couldn't find one of his hats. And I said to him, Rex, why three hats? And he said, one is my thinking hat, one is my feeling hat, one is my seeing hat. Like, which one did you lose? I lost my seeing hat. Well, of course we needed to get right off to school, preschool. And, you know, I grabbed another hat that probably wasn't the right hat, so that wasn't right. I didn't. I had some impatience with him. We got to school. He probably didn't have a very good time during those three hours because he was missing his scene hat. And then I picked him up, and 
he did not want to get into the back seat, into his car seat. He was struggling with his brother. I had another little boy that I was taking home that day. And he was just screaming wild in a tantrum, and so was I, you know. So I said, you know, I have to run back into the school. This is every mother's worst fear, that you're going to leave your child in a parking lot sometime. Right. I said, I have to run back into the school and get, and get something. I'll be right back, and you'll solve the problem, which was the wrong thing to do. But it's what I did then. Wait a second. Did you had you actually lost something that you had to go back for? Or you did it to give I yourself a mental a break. I needed a little mental break. Oh, I see. And he I see. needed a break because <laughs> okay. we weren't going. And we were at the loggerheads, you know. Okay. Well, when I came back, he was gone, and we only at lived, four out of your car. Yeah, out oh. of the car. And the other two boys in the car said, "Rex decided to walk home." Well, of course, you know. Then I went into my oh my god, what have I done to my child? Place, and. We drove down the road. It was a straight drive. He made this drive lots of times. It was less than a mile, and he was nowhere. And I pulled into the driveway, freaking out. And this was before cell phones to call my mom, of course. And uh, in the, our driveway was a woman with my child in the car who had picked him up on the way home, and he told her how to get there. Well, uh. you know, so I approach him with this horrible, I can't believe it, and also at the same time, deep deep fear for what could have happened. And, you know, we didn't talk about it until about three years ago when he was 22 years old. And I was talking about attachment and repair and how there were things that I probably hadn't done very well. And could he think of any times when, you know, we didn't repair something very well? And he goes, well, how about that time I was four and I walked home from school by myself? Well, so I noticed the tears well up in his eyes, and we repaired it. We, You know, I told him kind of my side of the story. He told me his side of the story. We had a lovely hug. I validated how scary it was for him. So we, I validated his emotion. How many years later? And our relationship changed after that. You know, we cried. We hugged. We had a beautiful repair. So even, I don't know, 17 years later, we can still help these moments that we didn't do a very good job at. I think that's really hopeful. And not only that, to notice how, I mean, it was the whole next week, he'd call me from college, you know, guess what I'm learning in my biology class? So it was a different sort of quality to, the, to our bond at that point. So you so, felt so much more connected to yeah, him afterwards. Yeah. It's a very moving story. I so appreciate you telling it. And uh, what strikes me is his willingness to go there. Yeah. Also, yeah. that it was it could happen because you weren't just opening to him and saying, right, what what do we need to do? But he was willing to bring it up. Right. Which is what I mean about the baby's a great partner. You know, the baby wants to feel safe, love, love. You know, Alison Gopnik's new book, The Philosophical Baby, she talks so much about that, is that the baby is learning about how to be in a relationship. The baby is learning about love. And so they're going to test that theory out over and over and over on us in all kinds of ways. So I think some of the raunchy behavior that children do that brings out that, you know, mean mama thing is really about, well, mom, can you handle me if I'm this way? Can you handle me if I'm that way? They're just experimenting with options. And, and so when you say testing that theory, be a little. More, I want you to spell that out a little bit more. Like the theory of whether my mother loves me if I'm, or mm -hmm. 
say more what you mean well, by theory of love. Uh, just using Alison Gopnik's work, who's a leading researcher in uh, infant mental health and developmental psychology, says babies have three big problems to solve. The problem of people, the problem of things, and the, the problem of, um, whoa, I'm forgetting the other one, language. And so, so much of what they're testing on us with all that testy behavior that a two-year-old does is, okay, I'm experimenting with you. What if I do it this way? What reaction will I get for you? Can you handle me if I'm this way? Can you? So if parents understand that and can sort of keep that in mind, like, oh, you're just a little, a little scientist. You're just experimenting with me. So my response to you, if it's consistent and it's, you know, or not, as long as I talk about later, you know, I didn't do that so well when I was the mean mama a little while ago. And I'm so sorry. And let's have a nice hug. And that, I think, teaches children we're not perfect as parents. We can't be. It's not possible. Even the best of us have our moments. It feels to me so powerful, and I know that so many um, mothers were not really apologized to. Mm-hmm. You know, this was not such a standard thing. Right. At even one generation ago, for mm-hmm. adults to apologize to their children mm-hmm. or to validate their feelings like that. Mm-hmm. So it's new. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. And, you know, what? when I had my 50th birthday a couple of years ago, my mom sent me, because I've been studying so much pre- and perinatal psychology, she sent me my birth story. And when I read it, I thought, wow, you really were way more present than I thought as a little kid. And we talked about that. And so, wow, all of my years of, is my mom really there? Is she really available to me emotionally? Can I trust that? I think I probably have a little bit of an ambivalent attachment, you know, because she was of the generation. You didn't apologize. You didn't validate kids. You said, you're fine. You'll be okay. Buck up. You're fine. And so, but when I read that story and the fact that she took the time to write that, I thought, you know, maybe I didn't interpret that so well as a little kid, that you were there more than I knew, second of six. Or perhaps your mother, like you, has learned a few things. Yeah, that could be too. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy And she's making repair, and it's not too late. It's crazy design. We have our children when we're not all finished yet. Right. Psychologically, you know. Right. Let me know when that happens to you, Catherine. When you feel <laughs> finished, still work. Grandchildren are great. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You get a chance to do it then. Yeah. Um, so, I want to just close by asking: Are there other things that you think are really helpful for parents, mm. parents who may well have had some kind of anxious or ambivalent attachment experience when mm. they were little? All parents, so sincerely, mm-hmm. wanting what's best for their child. It's almost a universal wish, I think, to give your child something that you mm-hmm. didn't get. Yeah. Beyond Sears, mm-hmm. what are some other things that you think are Well, helpful? another good book I love is a good friend of mine, Catherine Black, who wrote the book Mothering Without a Map that talks about attachment theory. And she interviewed hundreds of mothers about who wanted to do it differently. And her, the end of that book is so hopeful that we can do it differently. And... And then I think really paying attention to what's happening inside my body right now. What if babies are little mirrors and they're reading me and that's some of the behavior I'm seeing is really my own stuff being reflected back at me, then how can I be more present? And so really I think what fosters a secure attachment is parents being present, being honest, validating emotions, 
lots of deep breaths, <laughs> forgiving yourself when you have your bad moments, and slowing down. Babies really need it to go slow. And say, so, more, say more what you mean by that. Well, you know, even if you watch... Um, I, I taught med students for years how to do infant exams. And the, only, the thing that I wanted them to go away with is watch your hands. Because if your hands are moving quickly, the baby won't know how to read that. That will feel really scary to them. So go slow and you'll get a better checkup. And the baby will be more present with you. So over the years in my practice, I have talked to babies as if, because they are, conscious, aware little people. And really been mindful about slowing down and breathing. And when I'm not that way, which happens, you know, to then repair it with a baby by saying, I was going a little too fast there. Let me slow it down for you. And you always get this knowing wise look from a baby that's kind of like, okay, thank you. I needed you to say that. <laughs> so these are all really hopeful things that that I feel that in, in some ways feel humane for the mother. Mm-hmm. I think one of the difficulties of the Sears approach is it's sort of the highest maintenance possible way to mm-hmm. parent, and it yeah. can be absolutely exhausting. Yeah, it can be exhausting. Yeah. On that note, exhaustion seems like an appropriate <laughs> note for talking about infant, <laughs> infant prevention. Absolutely. I, I, I want to stop, and I want to thank you so much, Catherine, for being my guest. Thank How you. can people contact you if they want to find out more about your work or even have you as a provider? Um, I'm at True North in Falmouth. We have a website, which is www.truenorthhealthcenter.org, and the phone number is 207-781-4488. And if they want to read your newsletter? They can they can click on my name on the website, and then they can get to some newsletters, which talks more about all of this. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks, Ian. My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound and Maurice Leonard for the music. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space. I've been talking to Catherine Landon Malone, pediatric nurse practitioner and PhD candidate in clinical psychology for perinatal infant mental health. If you would like to contact me to get more information or suggest a new topic for a future show, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., I'll be hosting Martha Toll talking about bad mother anxiety as it relates to childbirth. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.